Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Bets are amazing, 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 amazing. Fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 21st, 2018. 
Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, back on the airwaves. It's been about three weeks since our end of the season call-in show and looking to get at it here in the off season. And uh, the first topic we'll tackle, we'll actually have two guests today uh, joining me and you'll hear our conversation. Uh, Rich was uh, covering the Jets earlier today. Uh, he was kind enough to call in on the way back from the Jets game. Rich Catino, ESPN, 98.7 ESPN, will join me. He has a lot to say about the GM search, the Mets GM search, so we'll get his take on that. And also joining me earlier this weekend, I had a chance to catch up with briefly before a game, Bernie Pleskoff. Bernie is a former pro scout for the Astros and Mariners. Uh, he's over at clubhousecorner.com. He hosts his own podcast called Short Hops. He's a BBWAA member. And the reason for bringing Bernie on is to get a feel of Peter Alonzo, who he's had a chance to see out in Arizona, because I think Peter Alonzo is going to be a huge piece for this Mets club going into 2019, a club that I think, and whoever takes over, should uh, have an opportunity to contend. So let's let's start there, because we'll get to Alonzo and Pleskoff and all that stuff. We'll round out the show with that. Uh, you know, So quite a bit has happened over the course of the last few weeks. Now, going into the GM search right after the season ended, we had some information here uh, at the Talking Mets podcast from our buddy Rich Mancuso over at New York Sports Day, which indicated that the Mets were leaning, or Fred Wilpon specifically, and as I and I had reported uh, through some sources, that Fred Wilpon, who is, who is more than likely going to be the one who makes the decision, actually will be the one to make the decision uh, in this situation, uh, was leaning towards Gary LaRock, who used to be in the Mets organization, uh, was part of the team that drafted David Wright. Not that that really matters a heck of a lot anymore. Uh, but all the way back to August, it was reported here that Gary LaRock eventually would have been the new general manager of the New York Mets. And, you know, you heard other names, uh, former Brewers GM Doug Melvin, Kim Ning from the MLB office, used to work for the Yankees, a couple of agents, Casey Close and Brody Van Wagenen, and... Um, and Heim Bloom uh, from the Tampa Bay Rays. So you've heard other names throughout this process. David Littlefield used to be the general manager of the Pirates, uh, currently in the Tigers front office. But all along, uh, we had heard here that it was going to be Gary LaRock. Now, Gary LaRock is out. He will not be getting a second interview. And apparently, uh, the report that it had to do with his handling of, or his lack of experience with handling agents, that's not the truth. Um, it seems like LaRock turned down a chance to go forward in the process. Um, you know, really just um, simply a situation where the philosophies, I guess, uh, were not there uh, from the Mets as well as um, as LaRock. Now, it seems like Fred Wilpon, the elder Wilpon, was more inclined to be interested in someone like LaRock uh, versus Jeff, who everyone seems to feel wants someone more analytically combined, and inclined, I should say. Anyway, I mean, I think that's where this all starts, and I think that's the problem with the reporting of this entire process. And it goes back to, well, do you want a, an old-school guy or a new-age analytics guy, or in this case, because Ning is in a, a woman. 
got to be careful in today's day and age. You got to make everything gender neutral now. And nothing could be further from the truth about looking at this because if anybody is hired and doesn't use all the tools at their disposal, and analytics and technology is one of those things, they're not the right person for the job. And I do not believe whether it's 66-year-old Doug Melvin or someone like Heim Bloom, who is in his mid-30s, I believe, I don't think any of those individuals will turn down any kind of tool or information at their disposal, whether it be different types of way of scouting, whether it be analytics, uh, new studies, things of that nature. So that, to me, is the problem off the bat, where the media, most importantly, is dividing the fan base and really inciting the fan base with this idea that the Mets don't want someone who is versed in analytics. What I do think the key point here is I think the Mets want someone with experience. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Everybody likes to go back to Chicago and Houston and how those teams rebuilt. And this situation is far different than either of those situations. The Astros is complete night and day. The Astros weren't even being televised on their own uh, in their own uh, city. They were essentially a financial mess. There was nowhere for that team to go up. So there was no intention in the short term for that team to compete or contend. They needed to put together something from ground zero, for lack of a better word. And they had the ability to do that in that town, which is really, let's face it, Houston is a, and Texas in general, is a football college uh, town. You can do that in that city. And you really had no other choice. If your team isn't even being televised on your in your own city, you know, where's the revenue stream coming from? So what the Astros did, and kudos to them, and I know they just lost in the uh, championship series to the Red Sox, but, um, you know, to me, that doesn't that doesn't have anything to do with the Mets. And if anybody thinks the Mets should do that, you're not reading tea leaves here. Same thing with, with the Cubs. The Cubs and Wrigley Field are an attraction. Yeah, you have the White Sox across town, but unlike the Yankees in this town... I think Wrigley Field and the history and the tourist attraction that Wrigley Field is allows you some time to still draw, to still have something to market while you're bad. Now, the Cubs were bad. They weren't nearly as bad as the Astros. And the other thing, let's remember, is that Theo Epstein coming in had all this equity built up that you really weren't going to have the media circling the wagon on him like they would have with um, with anybody that's potentially coming into this position here. You didn't have the Yankees across town. Um, so, you know, to me, that's not as, as similar to Houston, a little bit different, but in the sense where they really figure, okay, you know, we have Wrigley Field, we have these guys that are going to, show up. I mean, that was the knock usually to the Cubs. You had all these fans, these wannabe fans showing up. And, uh, you know, that's going to give you some time to do what you have to do to really level out the organization and rebuild. The Mets are not in that position. First of all, they're not in that position because I think there's talent here. And I've said this a thousand times. There's enough here to win right now. Even Chipper Jones, take it for what it's worth, said as recently as this week, that you can really be dangerous with those four starters. And you guys could go on and talk about openers and bullpens and all this other stuff. And look, you need a strong bullpen. 
but a team with a strong starting rotation with starters that could go six, seven, maybe eight innings and pitch at an elite level when healthy. And I know that that is always a variable, but there is ways to keep pitchers healthy, and there is ways that pitchers can keep themselves healthy. And it's not just limiting their pitches. Those pitchers in a short series are a difference maker in this in this game. In a game where everybody wants to go bullpen as early as the second or third inning, in a game where everybody wants to hit home runs, where the only way to win is one way, and it's always been like this in baseball, you could only win one way. Because whatever the hot trend is, everybody goes to it. Whether it be when the Marlins won with speed at the top of the order, or the Red Sox won with on-base percentage, whatever, everybody wants to go and copy the leader. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. And to me, I don't care who comes in. Whoever comes in has the ability to build a team around starting pitching. I think you have some very interesting component players, some players on this offense that could be stars, like Conforto, like Nemo. You have some veterans that you certainly uh, have to see what's left, but I don't think are completely toast in Frazier and Bruce. You have enough here. And look, you're not relying on Cespedes but you have that dynamic bat at some point in the next 12 to 18 months that will be back. Maybe not next year, but certainly the year after, and you would think would be able to contribute in some way, shape, or form. I understand the ownership group has not spent money at a high level. I think that's something that has to be addressed. Uh, I know that there is going to be financial limitations. Steve Phillips has talked about it. They want to run this like a business. They want to break even. Which, by the by the way, if a, a, an owner comes to you in any business and says, be successful and I just want to break even, you'll sign for that 10 times out of 10 because every other team is doing that in some way, shape, or form. They're not going into the red. Um, and, and, and even the Yankees, by the way, because if the Yankees weren't, they would just go out and spend whatever they wanted against the luxury tax and they didn't this year. So everybody's doing the same thing. Maybe their break-even point is uh, bigger than some others, certainly. And you could argue and complain that the Mets have put themselves in that position, and that's a fair point. But if your owner, and if this is true, wants to break even, then you sign for that because you could make something happen with that. So I think the Mets want the candidate. And I don't know if that's Ning. I don't know if that's Bloom. I don't know if that's Melvin. I don't know who that's going to be. It could be one of the agents. That's an interesting choice. But I think they want someone experienced. I think they want someone that could certainly manage up. you got to manage that ownership group. You have to give that ownership group confidence that their money, their investment, whatever you ask them for financially is going to be well spent. And I said in my piece over at MetsmerizedOnline.com when I broke the news about Fred Wilpon really being the driving force behind the final decision uh, that – you really have to look at this situation and say to yourself, where are the connections? Now, Gary LaRock had that Dodger connection, had that connection with Terry Collins. And it sounds like he would have been the guy, but other things, or maybe, and this is where I guess the concern comes into play, the fact that maybe Jeff and Fred aren't on the same page swayed him away from that. Who knows? But when you look at the other connection and why Melvin makes so much sense is, you just had Bud Selig, and make no mistake about it, I know Bud Selig said in the interview that he conducted over in the championship series just the other day, he praised Melvin as a great baseball guy and talked about how he came to Milwaukee and how much success 
the Brewers had in rebuilding under him. And he's helped, to a certain degree, the foundation of this current Brewers team when he left in 2015. But uh, Bud Selig and, Jeff, and Fred Wilpon are very tight. And one of the reasons that Sandy Alderson was in charge of the Mets was because coming from the commissioner's office, I think Bud Selig pushed them there. And at that time, they really needed someone. They needed an adult in the room that was going to be extremely savvy when it comes to managing a budget with a team that was on the verge of really the financial abyss. Now, how far away from that abyss they are now, well, we don't know. But you know they're in a better spot. And you would think there's a little bit more leeway for someone to come in and do some more than what Sandy Alderson was able to do really between 2011 and 2014, and to a certain degree throughout his entire tenure, where there was always reports of a moving target when it came to what the budget was, and and that's always been the issue. So Doug Melvin, because of that connection, because of the fact that here's a guy that, you know, Fred Wilpon could pick up the phone and really just call the former commissioner and get an endorsement, I think that would make him feel comfortable. I don't know what a Bloom or a Ning, you know, really unproven candidates that may be smart and may have experience working in a front office. It's no different than being an assistant coach and then sliding down that or, or a bench coach and then just sliding a few feet over. No matter what sport you're in, it's a totally different situation. And it's a risk. And I don't think right now where this team is, they're in a position to take that risk. They're in a town where you could become irrelevant, not just because of the Yankees. You can become irrelevant because there are other things for people to do. Do you really think all the marketing ploys, the McDonald's family Sundays, the bobblehead giveaways, the fireworks, all that stuff, you think that's going to be enough to really garner a solid attendance to bring in the revenue that this ownership group needs to run this team? They're going to need people showing up. They're going to need a brand to have any kind of revenue stream. No, it's not. They need a winning product. They need a winning team. There is a time and a place for a massive rebuild. And in 2011, they could have. They could have invested in that team, but financially they were not able to. They could have invested in the team. There were still parts there. I said it back then, a similar thing, but they weren't able to invest. And they had a lot of long-term liability too. And they did invest in the sense where they gave David Wright a long-term deal when they were in that financial purgatory. And we talked about this back when we were, we were going through Wright's career and talking about Wright as uh, his career ended, was that the right decision? Right now, in a similar space, you have to think about this team as the same way. You can rip it down, really pitch this rebuild, and the hardcore fans will, will buy into it. But at the end of the day, that's only a segment of the fan base. You need to market this team to the close to 3 million people that you want walking through that door. Guys at the 7 line, they're going to show up. Guys who listen, by and large, to this show, this podcast, you're going to show up. You'll be into a rebuild. You'll write about it on Metsmerized Online. You'll talk about it in the chat rooms. You'll do what you got to do on Twitter. There's a lot of people, large majority, probably the the majority, that want to go and go to an event and enjoy themselves. They don't want to go to a ballpark and see bad baseball. They don't want to tell their friends they went to watch the Mets or this bad team rebuilding that, all, you know, all the uh, you know jokes that are being made in the media. They don't want to be connected. That they'll go across town for that. Their kids are going to go where their friends want to be, which is Yankee Stadium, or they want to do something else like play video games 
or the adults, they want to go to a, some other entertainment, Broadway dinner. You don't want to be agitated and spend big money for the Porsche Club over at City Field to go watch a losing product just so you can have a process. There's a time and a place for it all. And I really believe right now you can do both. You can rebuild, you can contend, and the biggest issue that this organization has had, in my opinion, in the, the, the last three years or so of the Alderson regime was that they really didn't do a good job of player development down in the minors. And I can't a- answer that why. They've, they shook things up under uh, when Alderson was still around last winter. And uh, I'm not really sure why that was the case. But that's one of the big reasons, I think, why this team struggled. Not so much just the spending. Uh, and maybe they're together. Maybe that's all connected. But uh, to me, that's, that's as big of a reason as anything. The media coverage right now is going to not be about the process and about educating you about what this team is looking for. The Mets are not giving a lot of information out. That's number one. And and, and I think that's even guys like Heyman and Rosenthal are not getting a lot. But number two, they have to put a narrative out there. They have to kind of put something to stir the pot. And the pot is going to be analytics versus old school and how the Mets are not up to snuff in the kind of candidates. Let me ask you guys this. Dad Levine, who the heck is he that's such a big deal that he turned down? Josh Burns didn't even get the job the last time. Ben Charrington, I know he won a World Series, but with the Red Sox, he did it by spending some money. All due respect, all those guys would have been interesting to come in and interview. But if what they wanted wasn't a fit here, which is total autonomy, 100% to tear this whole thing apart and do whatever the heck they want, that's not the job right now. And you know what? It doesn't mean it's not going to be the job in five years. If you bring in someone like Melvin, this is a five-year run. Sandy Alderson got eight years. Really, Sandy Alderson after 2015 was on the clock. So nothing is forever. And where the team is now, the right general manager uh, uh, you know, might be that guy. And I think it will be Melvin. I think Doug Melvin is the guy that ultimately will do that. They want someone who has experience that can... Take this team that has a lot of interesting parts and 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 be as successful as they can within this era. It, it, it's as simple as that. And this other narrative that's out there, and I love Tim Healy of Newsday because he's been on this program and I tend to have him on again. But to go and find every former employee that the Mets have, like David Stearns, and talk about how the Mets, and this is I'm not saying this isn't totally true, are not keeping their talent. You know, when you're an intern with a, a major league organization, the odds that you're going to just stay with that team and move on up are, are not very high. You're going to bounce around. And the funny part is a lot of the names that Healy brought up in that article about all the interns and all the people around baseball that moved around from their days with the Mets, they went to other teams. So I didn't hear them complain about those other teams not keeping them around. So this idea that, yes, the Mets have issues, and yes, Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon, and, and truthfully, Anybody coming into a job with existing people in place, they're going to have to run into some, they're going to have some challenges, and they're going to have to navigate those challenges. But right now, I think you have a solid field uh, manager, very solid pitching coach. Having Omar and J.P. Richardi and guys like that, I think, uh, you know, makes for a solid uh, front office people. Uh, I think the real key is, do you have individuals in that front office that are not going to undermine the new individual can't answer that. I don't think Omar's that guy. 
look, Ricciardi uh, could have done that already. Uh, the days, I mean, the guys like Tony Bernazard and, and Jerry Manuel who were really known to do that and did that and got jobs out of that, I don't know if those are the guys that Sandy Alderson brought into the organization. Because they could have done that when Sandy got sick the first time. So, to me, forget the noise. Forget the old school versus the new school, the analytics, the this. Find the GM candidate in this round of interviews that can take the information in front of them that can run the most clean organization because anybody you hire, the prerequisite should be what is your uh, process on, eva- on on using information and evaluating that information and put it into play. If someone says, I only do things my way and I don't listen to anybody else, they're not going to get the job anyway. And I doubt that's the guy or girl that's going to get the, the position. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Rich Catino, 9870 SPN. Let's hear what he has to say about the Mets GM search and other issues surrounding the New York Mets. Are there any other issues right now? Can't even get to the roster yet. We'll be back with Rich Catino of ESPN 987 right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back and joining me. Uh, he was out at MetLife Stadium earlier today covering the Jets, but the Mets are never far behind. Uh, Mets beat reporter for ESPN 98.7, author of the book Press Box Revolution. has another book about the 69 Mets coming out later, uh, maybe not this year, early next year, I should say. And it's Rich Catino, at Catino9 on Twitter. Rich, pleasure to have you on. Hey, my- busy Sunday as always for you, huh? Always. Sundays are busy. I'm busier than a priest on Sundays. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, it's going to be... A- going to be a busy week for the New York Mets, the finalists for the GM search. Uh, you know, they're here. I think we're going to be hearing from them uh, in the media if, if reports are true. The GM meetings are the first week of November, so that's right around the corner. What's interesting, I know you wrote a great piece over at MetsMarizeOnline.com about what the Mets are looking for in a GM, but uh, during the open, and here's how I set it up, this idea that this is about old school versus analytics is just foolish. To me, you need to have an experienced GM in this town. You need to have someone that's open-minded and willing to use all the tools in front of them. The real question is, what kind of confidence will ownership have in this individual to open up their wallets and spend? Because ultimately, confidence in the person that's in charge, I think, is what Fred Wilpon wants. And I think that's where whoever he picks, I think that's what is going to be the determining factor. Does he have confidence in that individual that the investment, the money that he's entrusting them with is going to be spent the best way possible. 
I totally agree, and I think that one of the things you got to remember with this Met choice, and I said it in the piece, and you and I talked about it on the phone yesterday because we're always talking Mets on the phone, you and I. Um, they're not looking for a strap-it-down guy and rebuild, take five years like the Astros did or the Cubs. They're looking for someone that's going to be a general manager that will be on the watch right away to be a contender. And the reason they feel that way is they feel their resistance to trade starting pitching at the deadline has provided them with at least a trio of what I consider can't-miss starters if they stay healthy. And Stephen Matt's kind of on the outside of that trio with Syndergaard and DeGrom and Wheeler. Now, when you choose a general manager, I think the question you have to ask them is, how do they then build the team? And the general manager has every right that's applying for the job to ask, what are the resources that are going to be available to him or her? And I think that um, it's a conversation that needs to take place. Now that they've gotten to the second wave, the second cut of these general managers, I think Fred Wilpon is going to be more involved in the discussions. He's going to be you know, sitting there probably with Jeff at the table talking about what they are going to do. Now, my feeling on all this is that Omar Minaya will still have an impact in this organization because, let's face it, when you look at the history of the Mets, who, is, who are the general managers that were able to get, to get this team to spend money? And Omar Minaya is at the top of that list. Now, you can say the money was spent wrong or right. I think it was spent correctly. But Fred has an affinity for Omar. And I don't know if Jeff has the same level of affinity for Omar, but I think we're going to know who's really running the show, whether Omar is in this, you know, conglomerate in some way, whether he's the only guy or whether he's the guy that's going to serve as the go-between between ownership and the new general manager. If that's the case, then Fred's making this decision. If it's not the case, then Jeff's making a decision or has more of an impact on making the decision. And I think it's really as simple as that, Mike. I agree, and I think it's going to come down to Fred, and I agree. I think Omar is going to be with the organization. And I also think there's about you know there's a thing called connections with the Mets. And I had written that Gary LaRock had a lot of connections. You know, he has a Dodger connection. He worked for the Mets. There were some reports recently in the media that may have hurt him, you know, comparing him to a used car salesman. And then there's conflicting reports. You know, did he have the necessary experience – with agents, or did he turn the Mets down because he felt that Fred and Jeff are not on the same page? But when you talk about connections, uh, uh, Doug Melvin, and I wouldn't discount this, and I know he, the commissioner said in an interview this weekend that he has not talked to Fred. One of the reasons that Sandy Alderson was picked was the time was right for Sandy. The commissioner's office knew the Mets were in some financial trouble. Uh, they needed someone who they felt was responsible that could manage them through that crisis. And the Mets are not in the same situation, but I think Fred respects Bud a lot. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that Bud came to power is because of Fred Wilpon back in the early 90s. And if a candidate is getting that kind of endorsement from Bud Seelig, uh, regardless of how long he's been in the game and his age and all those other things that has been, have been brought up, I think Fred Wilpon's going to take that seriously. And he has, I think, when you talk about experience – and open-mindedness, and all the things you want to check, I think Melvin comes with the least amount of risk, in my opinion, versus any other candidate left in the field. I agree. If this were a horse race, 
I would make Melvin the one to three favorite, a heavy favorite, and I wouldn't have anyone else in this race more than a five to one pick. So I, I think if Melvin doesn't get this job, it's one of two things. Either Jeff has more control now than Fred in making this particular decision, and he trumps Fred, or Doug totally, totally, totally loses his control in that second interview. Well, I, those are the only two way, factors I think Melvin doesn't get this job. And I think that, you know, for me, you know, and I know we've gone crazy on Twitter. All the beat people have gone crazy making this an analytics versus old school, okay? And I'm going to go back to what I have always said about analytics. Analytics are a useful tool. But let me compare it to what something that everyone out there can compare it to, even people that maybe don't like sports that much. You have a tool shed in your house out in the backyard, and you have all kinds of tools in there. You have rakes. You have shovels. You have picks. You have all kinds of stuff there. You have plungers, okay? Now, the rake is a great tool, and you can use it in a lot of ways. But would you use it to sweep the carpet in your living room? No, you wouldn't. I say that because analytics is is a useful tool, but it can't replace what your eyes can see. I'll give you some examples. Do you think if we based everything on analytics that somebody would have said to Jacob DeGrom, you're a shortstop, I think you should be a pitcher? There were no numbers that reflected that, okay? It was something that somebody saw and something that somebody saw in Jacob DeGrom. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll even go further. The Mets' hottest prospect right now that has, they have, we haven't seen yet is Alonzo. Alonzo wasn't on the main radar of numbers people, okay? But now he's on the main radar because there's something in Peter Alonzo, and I don't know how great a, a, a major league player he's going to be, but he's got something in his heart and soul about baseball, Okay, you could sense it even when he said that thing on Twitter that that he was upset he wasn't called up. I like hearing that stuff from players. And I think scouts who have been through this business can figure that out. And here's the other thing, okay. We have now seen in the postseason that this notion that you could win a championship with power hitters that hit the ball far and have great launch angles and and a big bullpen and just an okay rotation is an absolute bunch of nonsense, okay? We've seen that the Boston Red Sox, despite their 108 wins, needed another starting pitcher. And they went out and got it at the deadline. Evaldi, who many of us just thought was just a throw-in kind of a fifth starter, well, I don't know if the Red Sox would be in the World Series without Evaldi on their roster. And my point on the whole thing is, you look at starting pitching. The Brewers didn't have great starting pitching. And in a seven-game series, you know, it can go either way. And I know when you go to a game seven, it can go either way. But trying to base your bullpen in every game you play, it almost burned Joe Madden in a World Series that the Cubs finally won. But it didn't. And thank God for Cub fans, it didn't. My point on the whole thing is the lineup, okay? I have a general manager who looks at the Met lineup and says, what do we want to do in the lineup? And I hear all this stuff. You need launch angle guys. You need on-base guys. You need guys that – no. You need to score runs. And the bottom line is there's a lot of different ways to score runs. 
we've seen it. We've seen the Cardinal teams of the mid-'80s have one power hitter in the middle of the lineup, a Jack Clark, and the rest of the guys are all speedy guys. We've seen the Oakland A's win championships in the 70s with big power hitters. But every one of those teams I just mentioned had the starting pitching to back that up. And when you look at the playoffs this year and look at the teams that didn't make it far, namely the Yankees, for one shining illustration, the Yankees had a great offensive lineup. They had home runs galore. Their bullpen was deep and talented. But the bottom line is you just put too much pressure on your bullpen every playoff game to go into the fourth inning and start bringing them in. And secondly, you're not performing as an offensive lineup because a simple thing like the shift, the infield shifts, I want to build a team that has some hitters in my lineup that can make the ship pay, like Mookie Betts, like Xander Bogarts, like Stephen Pierce, okay? And I look at the Yankee lineup, and I didn't see a lot of players that could beat the ship, with maybe the exception of someone like D.D. Gregorius, okay? And I think when you get in a big series, whether it's playoffs or the end of the year to get to the playoffs, I think you have to have a team that, has a bunch of different ways to score runs. And I know that makes the analytics crazy when I say that. And I want a general manager who uses analytics, but also uses his mind and common sense and builds an organization that starts teaching hitters how to beat the shift, teaching them situational hitting, not necessarily hitting an over, over a building, but maybe hitting it to the wall of the building six times to win a playoff game. Rich and I have Rich Catino with me at Catino Nine on Twitter, uh, Mets beat reporter for ninety eight seventy ESPN. Uh, you know, when you look at the Mets, one of the issues they've had was with player development, and I think whoever comes in, uh, I think that's one of the areas. I mean, the big league club has talent. I mean, there's stuff here that uh, you know Sandy Alderson left, and when Sandy Alderson took over, it was a little different situation. I mentioned the financial situation. And they could have invested in that club, but they had some bad contracts. They weren't in a really good financial position. Uh, it had been a real long time before they really broke down and re- rebuilt up the franchise. It was almost you know, 20 years since they had done that. So there was an appetite for that. And they had been good for a short period of time, You know, almost made the World Series. I, I look at this team and I look at the general, uh, general manager coming in. You have to tweak their big league roster. But most importantly, they have to take a look at player development and who they have up and down this organization. Now, Alderson made some changes last year. I think to me, getting players to improve the players that they have in the organization and the players that they draft, that they are prepared and they are procured is as important as anything else they can do. They, you know, they have assets here. They have a farm system. Everyone's acting like there's nothing here. That's the furthest thing from the truth. And I think, who they bring in to help develop the talent they have here is as important as what they do with the big league roster. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Keith Law, who certainly I wouldn't classify as a proponent of the Met organization, now says that the Met farm system is in the top ten of baseball. Now, they're not in the top seven or the top three, but they're in the top ten. And we've seen some of it. We, we saw McNeil. We're probably going to see Alonzo. You know, we're we're beginning to see some of these pitchers go from single A to double A, and I think we're going to see some of them a year or two down the road. You know, it's really funny that you bring up Alderson because when he took over, I think people didn't 
really realize that Omar left it in better shape than people thought he did. And I have a feeling that it's deja vu all over again to take a Yogi Berra turn. I think when Alderson left, it was like, and even members of the men organization kind of took pot shots at him. The guy that won the pennants, okay? You can't win a pennant in the sport and not know what you're doing. Did he do make mistakes? Obviously he did. But my point is he has left this organization in better stead than he's given credit for. We won't see the fruition of that probably for a couple of years, but when you leave an organization with this type of starting pitching at the major league level and couple it with promising starting pitching at the minor league level and a couple of position players, it's not like, you know, the Mets have had no position players come through the organization. I mean, Michael Conforto came through the organization. Daniel Murphy came through the organization. Um, you know, Ahmed Rosario through the organization. Jeff McNeil, those two, we're still waiting to see where they are right now. But it's not like the Mets have had the most success in their minor league system, but it's not like they've had the least either. They're somewhere in the middle of the pack, and I think they're in much better stead than people think they are. And listen, when I look at the Mets season last year, this is what I try to do, Mike. I will eliminate the 11-1 start, but I also will eliminate the June month where they were 5-21. and Take them both off the board. If you do that, the Mets are a 500 team. And with the amount yeah, of injuries absolutely. they had and the, and the amount of times Jacob deGrom didn't win games where he pitched well, that shows me that they're not that far away. And really having Jay Bruce not for the whole season, missing Todd Frazier for two months, no Cespedes, and for all intents and purposes, that's a 500 team we saw this year. They win 77 games, and I'll, I'm taking away their hot stretch, and I'm taking away their bad month. And I look at it and I say, it's an average team. Now, you give me another bat or two, and you redo that bullpen, and I think you have a team that can contend. And I hope that whoever the general manager is notices that. And listen, it's going to be hard getting those bats. It's going to be hard rebuilding a bullpen. Rebuilding a bullpen is half skill and half luck, okay? But I do think that this is an attractive job for a general manager to have. And let me just throw this on you, too. This general manager, he or she is going to be able to recalibrate the game, take a team that has strong starting pitching, and surround it with athletic and some defensive players and better hitting and a bullpen that's very good, and maybe bring this game back a little bit from this whole launch angle bullpen strength that people think that it has. And the general manager has a chance to be the person who starts that move. He or she has a chance to be the one now that everyone will follow instead of being a sheep that follows everyone else. And that's what I would tell the people in the second interview if I was Fred Wilpon. This is your chance to, you know, if this works and you fix this and it's based on starting pitching, speed defense, and a little power and a good bullpen, you might be on the cover of Sports Illustrated come 12 months from now as the guy that's brought the game back. And I don't know, maybe I'm just being a non-millennial wishing for things that can't happen, but I do believe that when it worked that way for over 100 years in baseball, it's not going to automatically stop. And I still think you use analytics. I, and I start using analytics like this. I want to know exactly when teams do infield shifts. 
and then I want to work against them. I don't want my powers to change. I still want them to pull the ball. But the Jeff McNeils of the world, the Michael Confortas of the world, I want them to become wall-to-wall hitters so that you want to stay in that shift? Okay, God bless you. But I'm going to make you pay for it, whether it's a bunt, whether it's a base hit down the line. But I'm going to make my hitters, my power hitters, especially my left-handed power hitters, opposite field hitters as well. And we'll see then how that's brought back. And I guarantee you, if there's a team or two that does that and takes advantage of infield shifts, we'll start seeing less infield shifts. We don't need the rule changed. I think it's a tremendous advantage when I'm a manager of a team that has pretty good hitting. And I get shifted on the whole game. Bring it on, baby. Because I think I can help manage players, handle it better, and maybe make that 270 hitter or 310 hitter. And I know analytics don't like batting average. Okay, they don't think it's important. They don't think 300 hitting is important. They think strikeouts are okay. Analytics are great, but those are the two concepts that bother me the most, Mike. They don't think ERA is that important. Okay? They don't think, like, batting average is important. And they don't think that, you know, wall-to-wall hitting is important. I got news for you. With a runner on second and one out, a single scores a run, and that's the same run on the board that would be if it was a 580-foot home run. You don't get three runs for a 580-foot home run. You still only get the runners on base and the guy hitting. So let's take a step back and use analytics to now bring the game back. And that's what I think a Melvin can bring here because he's a smart guy. He's had success. He also knows business, how to run a business. And I really believe that he could be the guy that turns this team around. But it remains to be seen what Jeff and Fred want. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss as we wrap up here not to bring up some of the other, you know, names. And, you know, Kim Etning and Hein Bloom, interesting individuals, you know, Bloom at a higher level in the organization. But, you know, very young guy, 35 years old. I don't think that's the direction you want to go. Kim Ning, yeah, she's been in the uh, different roles in the front office, the commissioner's office. It's like an assistant coach. You start shifting down the bench. Uh, all of a sudden, it's a big, big difference. Um, but – the agents are interesting, and, and Brody Van Wagenen is an agent that some feel is right up there with Melvin as a favorite. Uh, be curious to put him in, in charge of baseball operations. He has a number of individuals on the Mets that um, you know he represents Brandon Nimmo, Tim Tebow, Justin Dunn, Anthony Kay, David Peterson. And look, uh, give the guy credit. I mean, pitch Tebow to the Mets, and Tebow may never, ever see the light of day on a big league field as a big league player. But he has not embarrassed himself at all. This, you know, in some ways, he's done a better job than Michael Jordan did in his stint in the minor leagues. Very interesting whether Van Wagenen can really take this job this week in his interview. And would the Mets go in that direction because he has an eye for this stuff? And on top of that, now you have someone that understands the agenting business. Now you have someone that understands the financial aspect of this business. And that's important for a team that has, I guess, a tweener budget, not a small market budget, but certainly not the same budget as the Red Sox and the Yankees in the stratosphere of those clubs. So I'd keep an eye on him because he's here, and who knows? Who knows what the Mets do here? I do agree, but if he's the guy they pick, then it's even more reason that Omar is in the mix because there are things that, like, he would have never done, like 
he'd never been through drafting players. He sees the players that are drafted and tries to bring them in as clients. But in terms of the whole scouting process and the preparation for a draft, that's something a general manager has to be involved in heavily with his scouts. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying that if he's picked to do it, someone has to be there that's been through a draft, either a Rico or a Manai or even a Rashardi. Um, I do think it's an interesting it's an interesting thought process, but my preference would be not to have a guy who's been an agent then run a general manager's team because even in his experience of knowing what general managers are thinking, he's looking at his client and he, he'll look across and he'll say, well, this is what this general manager's budget is, this is what that general manager's budget is. That's a much different thing than taking that information and knowing how to make a deal and knowing where to start a deal offer at. Agents always start at the top. So I wouldn't want him to then start negotiating with teams and saying, well, I want to see what will get this deal done right now. So my sense is I would prefer not to go that route, but I certainly know why that it might be attractive to the Met ownership. What do you got coming up, Rich? You know, it would be interesting week Mets-wise. Obviously, the Knicks season is open, the Jets, the Giants, and, you know, I know that, you know, the Giants season's on life support. Maybe the Jets are right behind them, but a lot going on. Um, you got a book coming out. I'm sure you're busy with that. So give the listeners an idea of what to expect from you over the next few weeks going into the uh, offseason of baseball and the winter meetings, not too far away, GM meetings, winter meetings. The offseason goes by quick. Before you know, it'll be Christmas, and we'll be counting down the days to pitchers and catchers. Yes, and, and, you know, for ESPN, you know, obviously not covering as many games as I do during the baseball season, but doing some Knicks and Rangers for them and predominantly the Jets. Um, and then, you know, obviously being involved in baseball, you know, always making your calls every day. I am also writing a lot. I'm mesmerized online, and that writing will start to intensify now as the season goes. I'm finishing up the book on the 69 Mets, and one of the things that really has been interesting about that book is that I had a chance to go through all the pictures that we might use, and we're going to put the pictures in the middle of the book, and it's going to be a whole bunch of pictures. We want young Met fans to kind of relive it through pictures, and one of the big things that I really want to make this book bring out is the greatness of Gil Hodges, and the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame is, is an absolute travesty of justice, um, but think of, like, thinking about what he meant to this organization when he came to the Mets the silliness ended and I think that you know unfortunately his life was cut far too short um, and then you know thinking even forward if Gil Hodges had been around come the mid-70s still being the manager and maybe having success would the Tom Seaver trade even have happened would one ex-Marine have allowed M. Donald Grant to do that to another ex-Marine and you wonder how that would have changed things. I remember talking to someone who worked for the Mets that passed on, and he said that the ownership after the 73 series really thought about selling the team after the 73 series, thinking they had had enough. And unfortunately, you know, they didn't sell the team until 79, and the team, you know, was sold for far less than it probably would have been worth if they had sold it after they had won a pennant. But my point is that if, Gil Hodges had been there, I know two things would have happened. 
One is the human seriousness in the organization, and two, Whitey Herzog would have stayed in the organization and probably at some point been his bench coach. And whenever Gill would have retired, I'm just thinking ahead here, Whitey would have gone there and wouldn't have gone to the Cardinals and the Royals. And Whitey was a big reason why the Mets had the kind of players they did in those late 60s, early 70s. So the book will talk about a lot of that stuff. And through my nine-year-old eyes, I saw it. And, um, you know, I'll leave you with this, Mike. You know, we all have our things in life that people tell us that we can't do, that we're not capable of doing, that we're just dreaming. And every time somebody has said that to me in my life, I remember as a nine-year-old kid that everyone said that to me about the 69 Mets. They told me in April they weren't good enough. They told me in August when they were nine and a half out they wouldn't win. They told me the Cubs were flat out better. They told me that the Braves were better. They told me that the Orioles were one of the greatest teams ever assembled and the Mets would be lucky to win one game. In essence, that's all the Orioles won. And my point of the whole thing is, if you take anything from my book, it's that dreaming is not just okay. It's absolutely necessary in your life. And at nine years old, Tom Seaver, Gil Hodges, Jerry Kuzman, Cleon Jones, and Bud Harrelson showed me, among other players, that dreaming is needed in your life. It's something that's never left me. And it's something that's helped me every single day of my life. And I want Mets fans to feel that because I think it could help them as a life lesson. Rich, always a pleasure. Always like your take. I'm sure we'll be catching up a lot. Uh, be w- looking for you on 98.7. Let's see how this uh, second round of interviews transpires. I bet you there'll be a lot of news very quickly. Be well, my friend, and we'll talk again, okay? We'll talk real soon, Mike. You're one of the best. You know that, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. Be well. You're always you're always a welcome guest. We'll talk soon. That's uh, Rich Catino at Catino nine ninety eight seven ESPN. Uh, really enjoyed. Missed doing those uh, Sunday radio spots with him on uh, the New York Sports Wrap. But uh, that's the business. Things change very quickly. We're not done. There's more. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with Bernie Pleskoff, uh, former scout. Uh, he's on Twitter. And he uh, has his own podcast, and he's uh, out in Arizona. I had a chance to catch up with him earlier this weekend. And I really wanted to get a feel of a, a bunch of Mets prospects, but it looks like right now the only prospect he's had a chance to really get an, a look at was Peter Alonzo, which is perfect because everybody wants to know, is Peter Alonzo an option? The Mets are going to need a right-handed power bat. Cespedes is probably not going to be available. Can Alonzo make up that power? Uh, and at a very economical price, the league minimum. So let's hear from Bernie Pleskoff. We'll take a quick break. When I return, he was live from Arizona earlier this weekend. I had a chance to catch up with him for a few, get his thoughts on Peter Alonzo, uh, his thoughts on the Mets briefly, and even gives us a little uh, take on Vlad Guerrero Jr., which I know is not Mets-related, but I was interested since we watched his father for so many years. How does he compare? And Bernie gives us a little bit uh, to chew on there. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, Bernie Pleskoff will give us an update from the Arizona Fall League. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. 
Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and joining me, former pro scout for the Astros and Mariners. Uh, you could check him out at Clubhouse Corner doing his uh, analysis over there. He has his own podcast called the Short Ups Podcast, member of the BBWAA. You can get him on Twitter at Bernie Pleskoff. It's Bernie Pleskoff. I'm sure a lot of you guys know who he is. Always doing some great baseball analysis. Uh, Bernie, pleasure to have you. Now, I'm in New York. It's about 50 degrees, and winter's just around the corner, but you're in Sunny Arizona, watching baseball like it's a nice July day. Uh, Arizona, Mike, uh, how's everything going, my friend? Mike, thanks for having me. I'm in surprise watching them drag the field before this Arizona Fall League game. You know, the Arizona Fall League, I think, sometimes falls into that gap, especially with media coverage during the playoffs. And for teams that didn't make the playoffs, their fan base is maybe turning their attention to football and NBA and what have you, but even though it's September and you could get a look at some prospects on a big league roster in September, I think we forget, I think the AFL, and I'd be curious your thoughts, plays an important role in the development of players, and sometimes you forget the following year when they're in the big leagues doing well that maybe this period of time was a big part of that. You know, Mike, I have seen literally hundreds and hundreds of Major League Baseball players come through the fall league guys like uh, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, et cetera, et cetera. And this year we're watching a, a guy named Vlad Guerrero Jr. just rip up the league. He is just one outstanding uh, prospect, as is, by the way, the Mets' Peter Alonso. I'm very impressed with what I've seen from Peter Alonso. Interesting you bring him up because uh, J.P. Ricciardi was quoted – uh, earlier today, and and a lot of individuals are wondering, will Peter Alonso ever play for the Mets? Uh, is he more of an American League player? And and Ricciardi, and I'm curious your thoughts because, um, you know, they had some quotes from scouts in the in the piece. Thinks that defensively, it's a little overrated about how you know difficult his defense is. And he compared him to Lucas Duda, who I understand he made a, a very key error in the World Series, but was a decent defensive player. He didn't kill you. Uh, if Alonzo's, like this scout said, you know, 270 with 30 home runs, drives and runs, that's going to be huge for the Mets, especially if he could do that next year, as early as next year. I don't see any way that the Cubs, that the uh, Mets are not better with him in the lineup. I have him as an average first baseman, maybe a tick below. It is not as deep, his defense isn't going to kill anyone, but it's his offense, his ability, by the way, Mike, to take the ball to the opposite field and his bat control, really, really good. He's not up there swinging for the fences. He's just a powerful guy. And and I do think that's the type of power that the Mets need. I don't think he's a platoon first baseman. I think he's average at best, 
better than his press clippings. Yeah, he's not great, but that's not why he's in your lineup. He's in your lineup, in the middle of your lineup, to drive in runs. And I think he's a gap double sitter, and I think he can hit his share of home runs without a horrendous strikeout rate. Do you think it hurt him not getting a call up, getting some what I would call garbage time in September? And I know the Mets were, you know, were trying to compete a little bit, trying to, you know, not go out on a whimper. Do you think that hurt him? And that, you know, is he wasting his time in the AFL at this point? Because there were some fans who felt, you know, why didn't he just get this time in New York? No, it never hurts a player to get more development time. It never hurts a player to finish that development and to get time at the end of the season. It's not a deal maker or breaker for a player. As long as he's playing baseball, playing every day, which you would not have done probably with the parent club, I think it makes a lot of sense to let the guy continue to play baseball. This is called a finishing school, and it's called that for a reason. He's seeing very good pitching to, to average pitching, but he's getting at bats. He's getting ground balls in the infield. He's getting throws in the infield. You know, and that's why I think Peter Alonzo's here. Finish off, get ready for next year. They may not bring him up until, you know, early March because his clock will tick. But, you know, once he gets there to City Field, I think he could be a fixture. It's interesting. And I have Bernie Pleskoff with me uh, out in Arizona checking out some of the top prospects in baseball. You mentioned him not being a platoon player. That would be an interesting scenario. And, I, and I'm thinking – Assuming the Mets don't go out and get themselves a first baseman this offseason, and it sounds based on your feedback, they don't necessarily have to, that they would put Dom Smith, if he's still at the club, with Alonzo in spring training, see where they're at, and may the best man win. And, and I don't know how much of Smith you've seen. But a lot. He, a played, right in, he played in the folly. He played in Do the folly. Do you think Alonzo's a better, a no better option than Smith? But his power, yeah. you know, his power's coming around. But he would get the heavy side of the platoon. And Alonzo would be on the short side of the platoon facing left-handed pitching. I'm not sure that's what they want to do. They may want to test the market for Smith. They may want to keep him around, you know, and let him hit against right-handed pitching. I don't think they're ready to give up on Smith, but I don't think anybody's real excited about his future. Uh, that's a very fair point. Here's something else I'll throw at you. Uh, John Harper, a columnist over here in New York, suggested because Alonzo's defense is maybe suspect, maybe he's better with an American League team, and maybe go out there and try to trade him for uh, some catching help, which the Mets need. He mentioned Alonzo for uh, Salvador Perez, the uh, Royals receiver. I'm not a big fan of that because I think, look, listening to what you say, reading some of the reports, if this is a guy that's not just someone who's going to pop a home run here or there that can go the other way, that can recognize pitches, and look, if he's got 30 home run power, that sounds like a game changer for the Mets lineup, which has problems but has some interesting component pieces already with Nimmo and Conforto and – and what have you. Mike, I don't think you go after a Sal Perez until you're ready to win a pennant. He's at the tail end of his career. Alonzo's at the beginning of his career. American League teams are pretty loaded with first basemen. I think what you do is you keep them in the big club, along with Smith, let them both play, let them get some experience, and move maybe one of their starting pitchers, and I'm an advocate of that, and shore up that team because you're in a market there with the Yankees who are just beating you day in and day out. You've got to bring some excitement to the fandom there, you know, in New York. And I think what they need to do is be aggressive. Look to build on some more position players, 
get some, get that outfield in shape with Conforto, Nemo, and maybe find somebody else. I don't know what you do with Jay Bruce. See, I don't know why they needed him in the first place. And I don't know what you do with Cespedes. He's a very expensive piece, and you can't count on him being healthy. When he's healthy, outstanding hitter, no doubt about it. But does he want to play? Does he want to give you 100%? Or can you try to move him, maybe eat some of his contract, get younger, get leaner, and try to move your club forward? Bernie Pleskoff joining me here. We're talking some prospects, uh, Arizona Fall League. You mentioned Vlad Guerrero Jr. He was the youngest player in the Eastern League. The Mets had a guy right behind him in age, Andres Jimenez, a guy that, you know, more of a contact guy, stolen base speed. Um, You know, I know they have Rosario already at short. Who knows what they do in the free agent market, but there is some excitement around Jimenez. Have you had a chance to see him, and what are your thoughts about him? I have not seen him, but I don't think they're anywhere close to giving up on Rosario. He's still very young, still growing into his game, and I don't think you can have too many good players like that. Like I said, I think they need to – if you're talking about a Vlad Guerrero-type guy, I mean, they're not, they don't have anything like that in their farm system. Right now, Vlad Guerrero is tearing up the ball league. He's just a man against boys here is the way it looks, but – I I am very concerned about his physicality. He is a big, big guy, and I think he's going to have to watch his weight lest he become somebody like uh, Fielder or Sandoval or Sano. You've got to watch your weight when you're a big hitter like that. And he is, by the way, much bigger than his his listed weight here. Uh, His listed weight is 200. I think he's more like T30. But he's a great hitter. Not, you say he's big. You mentioned Fielder. His dad was a skinny guy. guy was a nimble, yes, skinny he guy. Was. Is, uh, is he nothing like, like his dad? He must, is, he, no, is he like his dad like, at all as a player? He must have gotten his mom's genes. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you this. Vlad uh, Sr. was a bad ball hitter. He would swing at anything. Vlad Jr. has trouble with sliders and cutters down and away. But other than that, you know, he's pretty disciplined at the plate. He wants his pitch. He feeds on fastballs. He's a third baseman and not a very good one at that. And uh, Vlad Sr. was an outfielder, faster than his son, just a different guy. But the, the hitting genes are there. And I think if he refines his defense, watches his weight, my prediction is he ends up as a first baseman if he continues to, you know, get bigger and bigger. I'm curious, Bernie, have you had a chance to see any other of the Mets prospects? I mean, Alonzo's the guy everybody talks about, but they got Desmond Lindsay down there. They have uh, some pitchers like Gerson Bautista who had a cup of coffee uh, in the big leagues, uh, a couple other lower uh, minor league level arms. Any chance you've seen any of those guys and have any feedback for the fans uh, on those uh, the only- individuals? No, the only guy I've seen with the Mets so far is Alonzo. And, I, you know, we're, we're only a week and a half in, so if you check in with me later later in uh, the fall and if you follow me on Twitter, and, again, that's at Bernie Pleskoff, uh, P-L-E-S-K-O-F-F. If you follow me on Twitter, I'll have updates on all these guys as the fall continues. But right now in the game I saw, the only Mets player I saw was Peter Alonzo. Have you have you had a chance to, to check in and see? I know that some teams are looking for GMs. 
you know, your former uh, uh, scout for a big league club. You know, one of the debates two, that goes two big on league here, clubs. and I think it's two, two big league clubs. That's right, two big league yeah. clubs, the Mariners and the Astros. You know, one of the debates, and I think it gets a little silly, especially when it comes to the Mets and, and who they pick to run their organization, is the old stats versus scouts. And I, the Mets have a number of interesting uh, names out there. You know, Gary LaRock, um, uh, Heim Bloom, Kim Ang. There's a number of names that are in the mix there. But it seems like everybody brings it, breaks it down to they have to hire someone who's analytically based. They have to hire someone who is versed <laughs> in player development. And, and I feel like, you know what, uh, an organization in any organization, whether it's baseball or else, elsewhere, has to have different people with different skills coming together, and then you have an individual making a decision, uh, obviously someone putting a stamp on that. Give me your That's thoughts on, on, on that you, you can have You can have a whole front office work of you know, analysts up there. What we're looking at is algorithms and math majors, but the GM himself or her, herself has to be aware of what the metrics are has to trust and respect them and make decisions based upon the data he or she will be given. That person does not have to be the one punching the buttons on the metrics. That person really has to respect and, and give the freedom to those people who, who do know the math and listen to what they say and then make decisions based upon the input that, that is provided. Absolutely. What are you going to be up to? I mean, obviously you're going to be checking out a bunch of games. What are some of the things you're going to be looking for? I know you mentioned Vlad Jr. We talked about Peter Alonzo. When you go and you cover the AFL, you have Clubhouse Corner. What are some of the other things you'll be looking for? Are there going to be other types but, of stories you're going to be checking in on? What What's next for you? On my, uh, It's called Bernie's Baseball World at clubhousecorner.com. It's a New York-based site. I love uh, writing for Doug Hall is terrific, and I think what you will find is um, scouting reports from me in the next five weeks on players I'm looking, scouting profiles of players so that fans who get ready for their fantasy team or who want to know what my opinion is of players on their particular parent club, you can find it at clubhousecorner.com and probably four or five days a week at uh, Bernie Pleskov on Twitter, and I will give you all kinds of scouting information every day. But right now, like for the other day, I saw Forrest Whitley pitch, uh, very, very top pitching prospect in baseball, the top pitching prospect. He looked really good here. He's got 92 to 97 fastball, also throws a curve, a slider, a changeup. He's big and tall, throws downhill, pitches out of the stretch. You will read my scouting report on him this Sunday morning at uh, clubhousecorner.com, Mike. That's uh, looking forward to it. I love following you on Twitter. Uh, I know you're busy. I know you got a ball game to get to. Yep. Uh, really Gotta appreciate get going. you uh, get, get going and, and get uh, give us some info on Lonzo. Be well. We'll catch up again, and uh, we'll be checking Thanks, out your Mike. work over the coming weeks. Take care, Bernie. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck to you and your Mets fans. Thanks so much. Take Thanks. care. Bernie Pleskoff. Bernie's Baseball World on Clubhouse Corner, at Bernie Pleskoff on Twitter. Wanted to check in real quick before a game, uh, get his thoughts on Alonzo. That's obviously a big topic of conversation. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, I'll wrap up. Final thoughts on today's podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, 
then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com and get Metsmerized today. All right, final thoughts. I thought it was a great show. Rich Catino gave you uh, some GM thoughts. Uh, Bernie Pleskoff gave you some information on Peter Alonso. Diverse mindsets. I mean, Pleskoff thinks the Mets should trade an arm. Very bullish on Alonso. I'm not going to get into more. I've already gone on this podcast over an hour. So you got a little bit of bonus podcast after not having any talking Mets for three weeks. But uh, Alonso's a game changer. Alonzo's a game changer, and if you could get Alonzo, even if he gives you 15 to 20 home runs and 65 to 70 RBIs, a right-handed bat at first base with Nimmo and Conforto, uh, you could maybe even think about, uh, and I know Adam Fisher, who used to work for the Mets, who's on SNY now, is talking about trying Ligaris in center. You know, you might be able to get away with, um, you know, a defensive center fielder if Alonzo's the real deal. I mean, that's a big if, so... Uh, some very bullish predictions from Bernie Pleskoff down in the AFL out in the West Coast. Uh, and that should make Mets fans smile. In uh, a week where there's a lot of uncertainty about where the Mets will go. And uh, that's how we'll wrap up here because uh, the next podcast will be when the Mets name a GM. And I anticipate that being within a week. Uh, I don't know if it'll be by next Sunday. But if you remember, Mickey Calloway was hired like out of the blue on a Sunday afternoon last year. So... Uh, when that happens, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get uh, another expert in. I'll give you my analysis and opinion, and that'll be the uh, the next podcast. And then it'll be about building this team and what the direction this team will go. And I fully anticipate whoever will be hired is going to try to build on this team, not rip this team down. I really anticipate that. I'd be shocked if that's the conversation we're having in about seven to ten days. I would be disappointed as well as shock. So anyway, I want to thank uh, Rich Catino. You can check out Rich over on uh, Twitter at Catino9. Also uh, check out his reports over at 9870 SPN. Not just the Mets, all the local teams. I want to thank Bernie Pleskoff. He does some uh, great work. Uh, you can check out Bernie's podcast called Short Hops. And you can check him out on Twitter at Bernie Pleskoff. You can get all the Arizona Fall League news. Of course, you can check me out all the time on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. And you get my columns at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me any kind of information you want over at that Twitter account. Love to hear from you. Of course, you get this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast very soon. Be well, everybody.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.